Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at RepcoService.com. G'day everyone and welcome to the Spirit of Sport. I'm your host Jason Stevens. So great to have your company. Well, my guest this evening is a man who was synonymous with rugby union in Australia. He's played over 60 tests for the Wallabies and led them to their first ever World Cup triumph. However, amazingly, he didn't even make his own high school team. I want to talk to you about that. Yet he'll go down as one of the greatest, toughest Wallabies of all time. There's no doubt. He's achieved a lot off the field as well in the world of business and also has helped establish along with his wife Angela, an event called Stand Tall, whose mission is to encourage and inspire the next generation. I'm so glad we've got him on the show. Nick Farr-Jones, welcome to the Spirit of Sport. Yeah, g'day, Jason. Thank you for that very kind intro, mate. Did you say the toughest player? Oh, toughest, mate. <laughs> well, we did a lot of research and tough kept coming up. So. <laughs> maybe, maybe you meant mentally tough. That's uh, a little yeah, scrum tough. half, mate. I'm not sure I was physically tough. I don't know, mate. I, so, well, I used to watch your games. You ripped in. You were you played above your weight. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. Well, I had a go, mate. I had oh, a go. you did. You did. Yeah, you did. I can't wait to talk to you about it. Before we get into it, we just have some getting to know you type questions. Are you good with that? Yes, mate. Yeah, absolutely. First concert. Mate, I hate to say it, but I think it was Rod Stewart out at the showground, um, and I think it got rained out. But I, you know, I was dressed in white and wore a boater mate of all things. Hate to say that. <laughs> I'm a Rod Stewart fan. No, no, no shame. No, no, no judgment here. What was your first job? Uh, I think it would have been my old man's pharmacy, mate. Max, um, Max um, owned and ran the pharmacy up at Carringmar near the station, and I'm pretty sure it was you know sweeping the streets, uh, working you know in the dispensary, counting pills, and, and serving it uh, in the pharmacy. So that would have been it, mate. Wow, a lot of people don't know that you're a Cronulla boy, you're a Carringmar boy. So uh, you know, I, yeah, I, uh, yeah. Started in Guymere, and then we moved down to Wollaway Road at Cronulla when the old trade union club bought the old man out to extend uh, the right. car park in Guymere. That's mm. right. That's right. Uh, what's your most embarrassing moment? Mate, I, I think, think long and hard on that one because it, it hasn't been too many. Um, but I reckon it was when I was introducing the Queen, Her Majesty, to my team before the 91 World Cup final. And one of the reserves, a prop forward called Dan Crowley, as, as I introduced Mum to, to Dan, he was hiding a little plastic Forex wallaby ball. Um, they were our only sponsor back then in 91, Castlemaine Forex, and it was plastered with forex and he got it out and handed it to the queen and said enjoy this put it on one of your mantelpieces mum <laughs> <laughs> she did take it uh but oh, <laughs> i'm not sure it would have got back to the palace <laughs> just quickly have you been watching the crown yeah i have mate okay. angie and i really, really enjoyed it. i mean we we had a lot of um occasions where i had you know three occasions to meet the queen and i uh, got to meet most of the kids too so i, I find it pretty fascinating yeah absolutely well uh, what's your favorite movie mate i'd have to say it's a long it's an oldie but butch cassidy and the sundance kid oh it's a great movie 
That's a great movie. Mm. Uh, Pet Hate. Pet Hate. Um, I think it does have to be political correctness, mate. Uh, gone mad too in the, in the current times. Mm. Yeah, actually, but that was Eric Groth's, uh, uh one of our guests as well, and uh, Justin, yeah. Justin Langer's as well. Uh, it yeah. seems it seems that um, things are getting harder. Drives me, drives me nuts, Joe. Drives <laughs> me nuts. Particularly, it's, it's, it's the vocal and loud minority. No, oh, I think I think they lost me over in the in the states where um where, where in in one of their um sittings they said instead of saying amen they said amen and a a woman and I was just mm, I just crazy. They actually don't even know they don't even know what amen means yeah I know it's got it, to do with it is <laughs> it is it is done right it is done it is a person yeah. from history you'd like to have met. Obviously, you've done, well, mate, the, you've I, done the Queen, so let's... Yeah, yeah and, and Mandela and Don Bradman, which was all great. I, I had three sporting heroes when I was growing up as a youngster. I loved golf and tennis, and I was a soccer player down in the Shire when I was young. So my three heroes were, were Jack Nicholas, um, Bobby Charlton, um, of course, the great footballer, mm. and Bjorn Borg. And uh, and I had the great privilege of meeting Bobby Charlton at, uh, when I was a young kid playing at a, at a camp. I had the great honour and privilege of meeting Jack Nicholas out at my club, the Australian Golf Club, during an Australian Open in the in the 70s. But I never met Bjorn Borg, so I'd have to say him. Oh, wow. A friend of mine is close with him in Sweden, would you believe it? Plays tennis with him regularly. Well, you never know, mate. <laughs> well, there's a couple, there's a couple of mining projects <laughs> up in Sweden, so I, I might follow up with you. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Something you wish you were better at? Uh, definitely patience. One of my weaknesses, Jason. Yeah, same with me. Yep, yep. The thing you did growing up that made your parents the most upset? Yeah, I had to give that a lot of thought. I mean, I, I was reasonably you know, on the straight and narrow, and I'm, thankfully I made you know, mum and dad pretty proud on a bunch of times, but it was one sort of late boozy night. I'd been playing rugby at over at Manly um, for Sydney University, and somehow I got myself involved in a card game. And, um, you know, as I said, it was a bit boozy, and I ended up losing eight grand, which I had to pay back. <laughs> And uh, and back then, as a 21-year-old, I didn't have eight grand, so I had to go and embarrassingly pat mum on the shoulder and say, would you help me out? Oh, eight grand? That's, that's probably, what, what's that, 50, 60 maybe, now? Maybe was it more? Well, it would have been, been, been the early 80s, but, but oh. mum was fantastic. I don't think she told my old man. She just went up to the bank, got cash. Eight grand? Um, <laughs> mm, not my proudest moment, I've Jason. Say, you, you, I've got to say, that's a good, that is a good one. That is, if they, mm. that is a real good one. Uh, what's, yeah. what's the biggest thing you've been nervous about? Mate, um, you know, I never got really nervous before sport, um, even the big matches. I mean, I knew that we had the team and I had the skill set to deliver. Um, sometimes before a really big speech, you know, and when there's a big crowd and, and there's a lot of notoriety in the audience, I get nervous. But I'd have to say, I was invited, when I was living in Paris, I, you know, you know that Andrew and I and two of our young kids went over in the mid-90s when I joined Société Générale, a French investment bank. We had four years over there and I was invited to the palace um, in 98. Uh, with, I was one of six people, um, nondescript people, to have lunch with the Queen. And, you know, I jumped on the train that morning to go over the three hours uh, under the tunnel and um, or in the tunnel uh, under the under the um, divide. And, uh, yeah, just thinking about, you know, having that lunch, I was, I was pretty nervous. But once I got there and, you know, the Queen, uh, I shared a gin with her before we sat down, I was pretty relaxed and it was a great lunch. Do you think having now? I mean, you're in a rare position where you have met, met her, and had that, that's that's very rare. How do you feel about the portrayal in in the Crown? 
Yeah, look, I, I do think it's, you know, I've only really watched uh, a couple of the series, but I think it's pretty accurate. I mean, this was all around, you know, I think her major mistake in her life, and there's been very few, was when Diana passed away in, in August uh, 97. We, of course, were living in Paris at the time mm-hmm. where she passed away. And the Queen really went to ground, and um, she went up to Balmoral, and the people wanted to hear from you know, Her Majesty, and she just didn't communicate. And you know, that was the time that people turned against us. So as I found out, Jason, after the lunch, I sort of got cornered. Um, we had the referendum on um, in 99 on, on whether we wanted to you know, stay a monarchy or become a republic. And uh, I got cornered at the end of the lunch by her communications person. And they really wanted to know what I thought about, you know, what should be their tactic going into the referendum? Should the you know, Queen and her husband travel to Australia? And I can remember saying, you know, pretty firmly at the time, no, stay away, because it was one of the very few times she was on the nose. I said, send the grandchildren down, but don't send the Queen, um, yeah. which, you know, I've got great admiration for her yes. in so many ways and, and the way she's led the Commonwealth and just the consistency and her service has been unbelievable. Yes, but yes. for me to say that in 98, um, she really was on the nose for a period of about six to 12 months. But mm. Of course, we know the result of the referendum. That was a year later, um, sort of around about sort of October, November '99, and um, it was a pretty commanding win for, that we stay as, as monarchists. I've got to say, I've, I've been in recent years. Um, I've really noticed a um, a strong conviction in her Christmas Day um, uh, speeches and addresses. Message, yep, yeah, yep. yeah. In, in terms of her faith and her her witness in in. Um, in Christ, I've got to say. I've, yeah, I've noticed yeah look, I time. think that's interesting, Jason. I think the, probably the older she gets, the more she just wants to be outspoken, the more she sees the final opportunities to, to let people know that she does have a strong faith. Mm. Um, you know, and uh, you know, that would have been growing up with, with her parents and you know, just the way she's led the, uh, the Commonwealth, um, you know, and, and her strong belief systems. and. Mm. You know, I, I'm I'm getting towards sixty. I'm I'm nearly fifty nine, Jason. I think the older I get, the more outspoken I am, or at least the more I don't care what people think about my, you know, my faith and my Christianity. And uh, mm. you know, I think the older you get, the more you think, well, you know, I don't really care about other people's opinions. This is really important to me. And if you know, I'm asked a question or I have an opportunity to express that faith, um, I'm going to do so liberally and um, with conviction. Yeah, I kind of feel we're living in a in a time where it's, uh, you know, it, it, your your belief system, which is which is like mine, is 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 certainly going to offend a, a lot of people. Even though the heart of it is is acceptance and love. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, but it, it it is going to challenge many many other people's belief systems. To, to yeah, they just don't. They don't like you sort of being seen to be on the top of a mountain and you know calling out your faith. But if people ask questions and. You might recall, Jason, you know, a little while ago I defended Israel for loud, yes, not for right. not for the way he delivered the message because I think there's much better ways of delivering God's love for people. Yes, um, yes, but he was just concerned about the consequences of sin and you know, he you know, in my view, he you know, that tweet or whatever you call it, the yes. post was, you know, offensive to some people and there's much better ways to do it. But you know, at the same time, I, I don't fear about being outspoken because I, I trust the way I communicate God's love for us, and um, mm. you know, and, and what our response could or should be. What's the last question? What's a la- lesson that's taken you the longest to learn? Well, mate, you, you're not a drinker, are you? Uh, you know what? I've, I've, I'm not, but occasionally, and when the occasion demands, 
I like a lychee cocktail, which is nah, no, it's not. It's my, not a beer. My wife likes that too, mate. My, my wife, it's all my wife will drink is a, is a French champagne, but she'll have a lychee cocktail as well. But to, to answer your question, what's the, the, the lesson that's taken longest to learn? I, I do enjoy a beer. I always have, and a glass of wine. It, it's probably the self discipline when enjoying that beer or wine because sometimes it becomes too many, you know, one after the other after the other. And, yeah. and, you know, that's taken me a long time to learn that, you know, drink with discipline, um, you know, in a social environment, um, just don't drink too much. That's yeah. taken me a long time to learn and I'm still learning. No, I understand. I understand. Thanks for being honest. Now, I want to get into your uh, your uh, career because it sounded me the more research that, that we did, the fact that, you know, and you're in good stead, I've got to say, because Michael Jordan didn't make his uh, high school vars- varsity basketball side, he he missed well, out. Well, well, I am in good stead. <laughs> you are in good stead. So, what were they thinking at Newington College, mate? When you didn't, your name doesn't come up on the board. Um, mate, I, look, we won the premiership that year, and I mean, to win the GPS premiership is you know probably few and far between at Newington. So I just put it down to you know there was a good guy in front of me, a guy who was a year older than me in my same year. He was playing in the A's one year above me all the way through. He played seconds in 1978, and my final year, 1979. It was pretty natural that he would play first. Um, I think it was reasonably close between the two of us, but, you know, he was a good player, a guy called Murray McGain, and, and you know, he was part of leading that team uh, to, to a premiership. So, you know, I was very proud and, um, you know, somewhat satisfied to, to captain the seconds. But at the same time, Jace, unlike many people that leave, you know, sort of high school thinking they're the big fish in the small pond, mm. uh, I left. I left school very hungry um, to to maximise, you know, how good I could be in sport. And as it turned out, when I went to Sydney University and met a few people who, you know, were distinguished distinguished players, and you know, they put um, they put a bit of a dream in my in my sort of vision. Um, you know, I didn't want to die wondering. I wanted to squeeze that lemon and get all the drops out. So it was pretty shortly after leaving school and going to university and, and making the first grade team that, you know, people started to notice me. And, um, you know, by the age of 21, I was pulling that gold jersey on. See, but you were a caring bar boy, as, as we mentioned, from the Sutherland Shire, for those who, who don't know. And so was it, was, was it rugby league initially or was it always you? No, no, it was soccer, mate. It was football. Um, oh. So I played for Lily Pilly and, and also was captain of the of – the, representative team, so Sutherland. Um, you know, I loved FA Cups when I was young. Mum would get you up at sort of, you know, midnight, you know, having sort of gone to bed at 8 o'clock. And, you know, yes. that was about one of the few live sports that we got back from the other side of the world back then in the sort of early 70s, as, as I can remember. So, you know, that's how I suppose Bobby Charlton became a bit of a, a hero of mine. And, you know, I really loved football. But then I went to school at Stanmore, a place called New Inn and College, so three hours on the train each day. And um, and basically I turned up in 1974 at winter training. My geography teacher and a man who became a great friend, um, Clive Wisner, uh, be- became my first rugby coach. But I do remember turning up and to, you know, saying, Mr. Wisner, where are the round balls? He basically said, we don't play with round balls at this place. I mean, you do now, of course, play <laughs> soccer at, at Newington, but yes. back then in 74, you didn't. It was just rugby. So I remember saying, well, where do I go in this game? He said, it's easy. The littlest kid is a number nine jersey, um, which was, of course, the scrum half jersey. And, wow. Um, yeah, it would, be, it would be that way forward. It was the first time 
Jason, I saw steel studs that uh, Tuesday afternoon at Stanmore. And steel studs? Oh, yeah, well, I'd never seen them because oh, you didn't wear seen, them no, in soccer. I haven't heard of them for ages, steel studs. Yeah, oh, I know. Gosh. I know, but, that's, but, but think back. I mean, you know, it was even before your day, but in rugby league they would have been playing with them too. But, yeah. uh, you know, I still remember saying to Mr. Woosnam, what happens if someone treads on you with those things? Um, tw- <laughs> 20 test matches against the All Blacks, you quickly find out. <laughs> what happens? <laughs> But isn't that interesting? Because if you would have, if you would have played, you know, if you would have gone to a, a high school in, in in Cronulla, possibly you, I would have yeah, rugby probably, league, probably. probably rugby league, you know. And yet, mm, as a side note, you would have made a great shark. But I'm just, I'm just saying. But uh, yeah, isn't that interesting? How your destiny was was linked to that to that school, mm, and, and you ended absolutely. up excelling. Now, you, you mentioned you went to study at University of Sydney, which is studying law as as well as. Playing rugby, which is which is exceptional effort, because and it's something that I try and stress to to players that I see today that how much you can really fit in um, to your life if you're organised and you manage your time, but also you know it helps you prepare for life life after. Because yeah. if, if if your life is all consuming just rugby league or union or you know that it's great to have something outside the game, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely, Jason. But you've got to remember, mate, the, the 10 years that I was lucky enough to play for the Wallabies, it was always amateur rugby. So, you know, people say, how did you juggle both? Well, most of the time we would train after work or after yeah. studies. Um, and, you know, people would say, well, how did you go on those longer tours with the Wallabies or maybe New South Wales? And, you know, back in those days, my tours were my holidays. So with the exception of when Ange and I married in 1989 and we went away on a honeymoon, mm. my rugby tours were my holidays and I would have worked on average when I was in the mid-sized legal firm in, in uh, the CBD. My, I would have worked on average probably 10 and a half months. So people forget that, that it was amateur. You, you generally trained after hours. Um, and, yeah, I, I agree with you. It, it's always great to, you know, that when you actually stand down or you get carried out in your sporting coffin, Life doesn't change at all because you've got something behind you. You, you, you just put on a suit in the morning, you go off to work, uh, and life didn't change, um, which is great to have something to fall back on. Mm. It reminds me of the days um, where Mark Coyne and I, the, the St. George captain, we would uh, train at 5am yeah. with Saints and then we'd get on the train together and uh, yeah. travel into – he was working for the corporate, I was working for Ernst & Young in the city and – then, yeah. then I'd leave there at three three o'clock to be back at Jub- Jubilee Oval at four o'clock to to train again. Jeez, it was, it was full days doing that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but it was it was sensible, wasn't it? I mean, nowadays the professional sports person, you know, in rugby and rugby league, they spend the whole day training. You know, whether it's you know reviewing matches, whether it's looking yeah. at the next opponent, whether it's in the gymnasium, I, I, I would find it so dull and, and so difficult to be interested. In life, if I went out to Moore Park at eight thirty in the morning and I left there at five thirty, you know, in the afternoon, to me, short, sharp, quick, intense training is all you need. Nothing more than two and a half to three hours. Then, um, then again, Nick, when they're, Nick, when they're giving you eight hundred k a year, you kind of think, well, okay, I might. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, I, I get that, Jason. <laughs> I'm joking. But Jason, eight hundred grand a year doesn't um, doesn't hold you in good stead for life after. No, it doesn't. Sport. It doesn't. No, not at all. Not at all. I'm continually yeah. on players when I see them because I, actually I worked at the, at the NRL uh, a few years after I retired in education and welfare. I'm continually on players about developing that that part of their life because they've got plenty of time to do it, mate. Oh, um, uh, you know, absolutely. Off, do do you know online courses and absolutely. and and get 
get a strong mentor and and absolutely develop your skills, develop you know other skill sets that stand you in good stead for when you you do hang up the boots. Absolutely, because your net because the network you have when you're playing too, it's not always there once you retire. I've got to say and. You know, sure. you've got sponsors and you've got all this. I mean, you met met the Queen. I mean, it's like that's an on, diff, on a different level. But, you know, you, you could really, like, put yourself, uh, establish great connections that you yeah. could leverage on, off. For, for yeah, absolutely, Jason. It's, re- it's really, really important. I mean, you know, I went from, from you know, being a lawyer to becoming a financier and banker. I mean, firstly, with Sociedad General and now with what I do in private equity, where we sort of mainly lend in the global mining industry, but we also invest. But... You know, when I think about the important lessons I learned in life, um, I remember the first day, you know, in the legal firm going in to thank the senior partner for employing me. And I said, do you have five minutes? I've got a couple of questions I'd love to ask you, Mr. Holden. The first one was, what sort of law do you think I'd be good at? Um, You know, litigation, property, commercial, maybe family. Mm -hmm. I'll never forget his answer. He said, Nick, don't worry about what sort of law. He said, work out what sort of person you are. He said, there's finders, minders, binders, and grinders. Mm -hmm. And, And I knew exactly what I was, particularly when I joined the French bank and lived in Paris and was asked to open up, you know, the continent of Africa from a commodity and mining perspective. You know, initially South Africa is the world's biggest gold producer back in the mid-90s, but also to focus on Francophone Africa, so West Africa, countries like Mali, Burkina Faso, Guinea, Cote d'Ivoire. And I really started to understand what Mr. Holden meant because there's no doubt in my life um, I'm a finder and a minder. I'm an originator of deals. Mm. And I, I keep and strengthen the relationship with our clients. But, you know, to, to survive, I need to surround myself with people that do the stuff that I'm no good at, the financial model, modeling, the, the writing of the 50-page credit papers, you know, the, the, the deep analysis, the technical reviews, whether it's geology or metallurgy or all the stuff that, you know, I'm not trained to do. So I've always known exactly what I'm good at, but that brings me back to your point. Um, I've got a lot of global contacts and, you know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of doors that I can open. And so it's been over, you know, three decades of, of business. It's been really beneficial. Um, you know, you don't use those contacts, but, and you make sure you repay and thank, but it's, it's the door opening that's really important. That's interesting because it, in what you're describing really in, about strengths and weaknesses and knowing your position, it's very similar to rugby. Um, absolutely, yeah. absolutely, Jason. I just talked about my physique. I'm a small guy, but, you know, I'm the scrum half. I've got to perfect my pass and my kicking game and all that. But really, really importantly for my game was my lateral vision, um, which you guys in the front row probably don't have a lot of um, because your job is to run over the top of people. But my job is to get decision-making nine times out of ten right. So I have to be able to size up, size up everything in front of me. Mm. You know, where are the black jerseys and where are the gold jerseys? Where's the space? What do we do? And, of course, I rely on the liners and the campesies because they speak to me a lot. And, you know, Campo left you in no doubt when he wanted the ball. Um, but that decision-making was really critical, and so that's a key aspect of my role as a scrum half and also as a captain. That lateral vision to be able to size up everything very quickly and nine times out of make the right decision. That's a lot there's a, there's a lot of to be said about instinct and, and going with your, your gut. Do you do you listen to that that voice a lot in, in decisions for business yeah. and Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, as 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 a Christian and a prayer you, you obviously look to be led um, by the spirit as well. But mm. There's no doubt about that, um, that, that a lot of things come up or, or you might think about a person or an opportunity or, yeah, for sure, absolutely, that, you know, I, I spend a lot of 
the late or sort of, you know, the evening around about 8.30 to 9.30, just getting out a bit of paper and writing down some stuff to think about the next day. And, and once I start to write down those things, it, it's amazing how many doors it opens about, you know, who I should be in contact next next day about a possible opportunity or that can enhance maybe winning a deal or something like that. So mm-hmm. I, in a way, that's gut feel, that's instinct, that's just using, again, your lateral vision um, or, or your, your lateral thinking um, to, to look at, you know, ways of, of benefiting an opportunity. Let me take, me take you back to 1984. You're, you're on the spring tour of Europe. You get selected to make a debut for the Wallabies against England at Twickenham. Now, I've played at Twickenham. Uh, we didn't get a full crowd because we're rugby league in a rugby union sort of type ground. But, <laughs> but, the, but the ground was the, – the aura that we felt walking onto there was just – that must have – and for you to make your debut, that must have been a, a very surreal moment. Yeah, no, it's great. What was your was you were you Australian schoolboys or something like uh, that? No, or? no, that was with the um, Australian rugby league team, the the, te- the test team. Oh, okay, you yeah. played a test match. Okay, yeah, I, yeah. I thought you might have played schoolboys or something there, yeah. but they let you they let you on playing a test match. I, I couldn't believe it. Could you? I yeah, couldn't but, believe it. Actually, and I, and I was really familiar with the the ground and and everything about it, and I was in Mora, mm. but uh, yeah. So, but but that must have been a for, for yourself. Um, because it, it seemed everything happened pretty quick, Nick. Like you've got selected yeah, no, South it, Wales, it did, Jason, yeah. yeah, and it was all in that one year, 1984, yeah. because I was playing second division with Sydney Uni in 83. So it, it all happened extremely quickly. It yeah. was the first year that Alan, Alan Jones was coaching Australia. But look, it, it's clearly my favourite ground. Um, one, because it's, it's in a great city. Two, because it's, a, it's an amazing, fantastic ground. Um, and I suppose three, that, that I debuted there and we won a, a World Cup there. So it's pretty hard to go away from Twickenham as my favourite ground. But yeah, 84 was extremely special um, to play alongside Mark Eller. Um, sadly, Mark retired after that 84 tour. And, but to be able to play those four test matches against uh, England, Ireland, Wales and Scotland with, with one of the greatest uh, number 10s that Australian rugby's ever produced was, was also an extremely special um, and honouring uh, occasion for me. And tell us about your time under the head coach, Alan Jones, and, and what you learned and his style. And... Yeah, well, look, Alan didn't have a, a long history of coaching rugby, um, so he had to learn quickly himself. He was the first person in the history of, of international rugby to appoint an assistant coach because he realised that, you know, he if he had a, a very experienced forwards coach, that would help him. He, he learned extremely quickly and became very proficient at rugby, but... I think the thing I remember most, most about Alan was, you know, he he knew how to get the best out of you as an individual player. He, looked, he knew your character very quickly. Um, you quickly understood that you had to work particularly hard, that even though our game was amateur, uh, he had an extremely professional attitude. But also, you know, the memories of, of those decades ago was he was so keen on introducing the team to, you know, some of the opportunities when you toured, you know, going to West End, the theatre, you know, watching some of the great um, theatre, you know, at, um, at the West End in London and, and seeing the culture of the place and, and all that. So it wasn't just about what you did on the field. It was the opportunity to tour, to meet people, to go to great occasions, um, you know, to see some of the, the great theatre. Um, and, you know, he, he often talked about, people he knew and, and experiences he went to. But, you know, it was a real cultural exercise. It wasn't just about sport. So let me fast forward a couple of years, 1988. You're, you're 25. You're made the captain of the Wallabies. 
Um, can, how did they tell you? How were you informed? Did you did you feel? Well, it was a bit on? unusual, Jason, because yeah. you know, strangely, I mean, back in the amateur days, I was over in Monaco. I'd been invited um, to play um, in a sevens tournament in Monaco, and um, Andrew was able to come over with me on that occasion. And um, bizarrely, I got a phone call. Um, I think it was late afternoon over there, but my mother-in-law of all people had just heard on the morning radio news that I'd been appointed captain of the Wallabies. So Bob Dwyer, Bob Dwyer bizarrely, who who replaced Alan in 88, um, he didn't even call me um, to say, I've been thinking about making you captain. You know, would you be interested? Can we meet and have a coffee and have a chat about it? Um, I didn't really know Bob. He was from the Randwick Rugby Club. I wasn't, you know, when he first coached Australia in 82, 83, I wasn't anything to do with you know, sort of being close to selection in those years. So I hardly knew Bob, and he didn't even call me to have a discussion around it. Um, but, you know, we got on particularly well. We're still great friends to this day. Um, yeah, it was it was interesting. And, and, of course, Jason, had I given a moment's thought to captaining the Wallabies, yes, I'd played four years for the team, mm. but I would have thought, you know, my cab would have been placed about eighth or ninth in the rank. There were older, more experienced, more qualified guys to do the job. So... Yeah, yeah, it was, you, it was pretty surreal when I found out. Yeah, did you feel the, the the pressure and the weight of it? Because, because you know, in many ways, captaining the Wallabies uh, when we had Justin Langer on, because um, because because rugby union is a it's an international it's a strong international game, unlike unlike league. Sure. I've got to say, so th- that captaincy it it's it's handed with it. It's there's a different expectation and weight surrounding it. Um, yeah. And how did you handle that? As you're 25, you know, you're not you're not an older guy. Yeah, no, look, I, I, when I was a young kid, I was captain of, of a lot of sporting teams that I played, whether it was the football, you know, whether it was, you know, tennis, um, as I ended up playing, or cricket. Um, so I sort of had experience and I felt natural about leading and, and about, um, you know, I always was the fittest, Jason, because growing up in the Shire, before I went to Newington, I swam twice a day. Um, sand then hills. when I couldn't do that, I was, yeah, a bit of sand hills and, and what have you. Well, sand hills when I went to middle distance running, you know, 8, 1,500, 3,000. So I, I was always super fit and, and I loved training and I loved perfect training. So I, it was always easy for me to lead by example. Um, but then it was the, you know, sort of what you do – uh, as a captain in sort of trying to motivate and trying to assist to try and get the best out of your teammates um, individually and collectively. Uh, that was the thing I had to work on. And, um, you know, and it didn't happen overnight. I, I have no doubt I became a better captain. And we learned from some difficult, you know, sort of losses in 88 and 89 um, and 90. Um, but then for a couple of years, we became the best rugby team in the world. But there's no doubt we learned. And, uh, and I was all for learning and, and getting better. And, you know, um, thing you have to realise, and I, I, I suppose it took me a bit of time to do this because as a young captain, I would think about the attributes of guys who'd captained me, Andrew Slack, uh, Simon Poitiv and Steve Williams. Um, and I'd often think, well, I've got to replicate them. Um, I, I, I ended up realising that Bob Dwyer had selected me as a captain because he saw leadership qualities in me. So, yes, learn from other attributes that previous captains that you had mm-hmm. had where you could benefit, but don't change. Don't change, you know, what someone sees as just natural leadership qualities within you. You don't have to become someone else. 
play yourself, just learn from you know, attributes that, that you know you experienced as, as a younger player when you had you know you're privileged enough to have some great captains around you. Mm. It's hard because um, you know that sense of self and identity and having confidence in 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 your own way of handling things, you know, that can be, yeah. it can be undermined by, well, firstly, your own doubts, you know, can, can, mm, can sure. come in. And, and then obviously that sometimes there are outside forces that can undermine, you know, the, and I think Justin Lang is probably experiencing that at the moment, you know, and there's, there's, sure, mate. there's no doubt. I mean, it's if hard. you have some losses, if you have some yeah. losses, it, it's extremely hard. I mean, we were called on a tour of New Zealand in 88, we were and called the local model. Is that right? Were you down to yeah. to the All Blacks? From yeah, yeah, remember. sure. Yeah, yeah, nineteen eighty-eight, and and yes, you do have your doubts. But one thing, that quickly, I realised, and you got to remember, uh, as amateurs, you weren't playing for your livelihood, um, and so I can understand how sports people and coaches now kick back when there's criticism in the press um, of of their game and, you know, whether they should be selected going forward and all that. I fully understand the pushback because these people are playing for their livelihoods. But I wasn't playing for my livelihood. So my reaction to criticism, particularly in the press, was often, well, they're probably right. And there's only one way to prove them wrong. It's going out and performing in the next game and, and, and showing them that, yeah, you could have been right, but we're going to bounce back. And that's always the attitude that I had. Now, John Webb, is he aware how close we are to the end? Chucks it infield, but Halliday isolated. Gets past one. Gets past two. England must win the ball, though. And that's it! The final whistle blows. Australia said from day one they weren't coming here to run second. And they've taken the trophy. the chairman of the International Rugby Board handing the trophy to Her Majesty the Queen Nick Farr-Jones, the Australian captain the moment he has been working and waiting for they weren't modest when they arrived they set their stall out saying that's what we've come for and that's what they've got. Well, 1992 comes around and you lead Australia for, for one last series victory against Scotland before retiring. Uh, was that a hard decision to make, uh, to retire? Well, no, it wasn't. Um, you know, I had I had um, two young children at the time, Jase. My, my first child was born in 91 and then Amy came along in 93. But you talked about 92. Um, after Scotland, mate, we, we had the opportunity. Um, Nelson Mandela was released in 1990. The then president of, of the Republic of South Africa, um, he made a decision that he was going to go to the first democratic elections in 94. Um, and then the African National Congress Party um, decided that they would open up the game um, for cricket and for rugby two of the sports that South Africa loved. Um, and so I had the opportunity to lead my team to South Africa for the first time. You've got to remember they weren't part of the 91 World Cup. So, you know, it was always a strong ambition of mine to get the opportunity to play the Springboks. And I remember how much pressure I felt um, on that one-month tour. We played three lead-up games and then we played our test match down in Cape Town. And basically, you know, the Afrikaners were saying, well, congratulations on winning what you perceive to be a World Cup. And until you've beaten us, you've won nothing. 
you know, just because of the proud history of Springbok rugby. And so the pressure that I felt that day and at the end of the game, we, we beat them by a record score. We beat them 26-3. And I just felt, gee, I've, I feel like I've done everything now. We've, we've won a World Cup. I've had the opportunity to come to South Africa. We've beat them by a record score. This would be a perfect moment to get out. And so that was after the Scottish series. And I wrote mum and dad a letter. Um, they basically watched just about every match I played and they were over there in South Africa. And I just thanked them, um, you know, for the contribution that they'd made, the encouragement for, you know, following me around the world to watch the matches. I gave mum the gold Kruger around that the then president of South Africa, Danny Craven, gave to me after the match. I gave wow. dad the the um, touch judges flag for the test match, which I'd been presented. And I just thanked them and I said, this would be a perfect time to get out. But then the following year, Jace, um, Peter Slattery, Slattery, who was my replacement number nine, he got injured. Um, and I got the phone call from Mike Liner, Phil Kearns, Bob Dwyer, Bob Temple, and said, Nick, you know, um, we've got a one-off against the All Blacks. And then the Springboks are touring Australia for three tests next year. Would, would you mind coming back for a few more matches? And so I played four more matches before, um, before I... I you know, played my last test. Uh, we finished off with a series win against the Springboks here in here in Australia, which was great. That's so special, and and, you, and you've had you've had you know we could talk for a long time because you've had some amazing experiences. Um, I've got to say, like beyond yeah. the ordinary, they've been amazing experiences. But I want to change pace a little bit and just talk about. Yeah. I think your your greatest experience because you've been vocal about your faith. But I'd love to know where that journey began with you. Um, look, I, I have fantastic parents who sacrificed enormously for me and gave me and my two brothers every opportunity in life, and for that I'm always grateful. Um, one thing I didn't have growing up in, in the shy, mate, was we didn't do Sunday church. I mean, I'd occasionally with my brothers get sit along to to Sunday school at Guy Mere, but I think that was, you know, so mum and dad could sleep in and, and do whatever they wanted to do while we were away for an hour or something, but... You know, I went to that school at Newington, and and it's interesting. It was a it was a Presbyterian, so a Christian school. Um, you know, we talk about growing up in a Christian country, in Christian city, in Christian suburb, but I remember never really having any understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ um, until I got dragged along by a couple of pretty women to Caring by Baptist Church at about the age of you know close on seventeen, and. Um, and yeah, you know, I always think, Jace, that God works in mysterious ways. So they were very pretty women, and you know, when when I wanted to continue to see them, they said, "We'll keep coming back to church." So I kept on going back to church, and I think it was about I think there's a two months later. Isn't there a terminology for that? The old flirt to convert is that what the <laughs> probably? But mate, you know, it's, it's interesting. At the age of seventeen, it was really the first time that I started to hear the undiluted, undiluted sort of got message of the gospel wow. and you know and you know faith comes from hearing and hearing and hearing and and you know there came a time maybe three months after I first started going to you know the church that, that I put my hand up and you know I've now been a Christian for you know close on 40 years it doesn't mean that it's not a rocky road and a roller coaster road it doesn't mean that you know the red carpet gets pulled out because you know that mm. there's enormous challenges um, that you confront as a Christian but you know, and it doesn't mean that I have a white halo around my head. You know, that that is the great beauty of what Christ did on the cross that we can we can go to God in forgiveness and in faith in Jesus. And you know, so 
what I love, I suppose, about my life at the moment is I think the best years in front of me. I'm very confident the best years in front of me. I, I'm very thankful, Jason, that mm. you know I've got a God fearing wife who shares the same faith as me because we have our challenges. Um, you know, I'm not going to go into one or two of them here, but we've got some real challenges. Um, you know, with with a couple of aspects of life, but we've been hugely blessed, Angela and I, um, with our four kids and with our parents and our wider families and our friends and, uh, you know, so many aspects of life. Um, we've been hugely blessed, but we share the same faith. And, um, and that is, that is something that, that I'm always thankful for. And, um, you know, that I know that Angela and I together will continue to develop and grow that faith and will be more used by God, um, as we go into our sort of last decades. Well, speaking of Angela, she co-founded the organisation Stand Tall, uh, aimed at empowering, inspiring teenagers. And I know you've been involved in supporting that. Can you tell us a little bit more about that organisation? Yeah, I've been lucky enough to chair the board for since inception, which is about eight or nine years ago. I mean, strangely, it's, it, it was created because both my wife and her co-founder, Janine Trahan, um, we'd experienced too much suicide and in a country you know as great as our country is to, to sit almost on the top of the dais in relation to uh, suicide per capita it's it's a it's a terrible statistic um, you know my girls who are now nearly 30 and 28 they'd been to way too many funerals wow. you know they both went to a great school when owner at North Sydney and and yet they were turning up at funerals and families couldn't explain and no one knew why and mm. So, so Angie and Janine just said, look, why don't we look to create some sort of TEDx event where we could instill hope, encourage people, um, you know, and, and get some great speakers and have some great entertainment. Um, speakers who've been through some really challenging and difficult times and they've come out on the other end and, and they've lived inspiring lives. Not not old farts like you and me, Jason, as speakers, but but <laughs> but young people who they can relate to, you know. And so we get everyone from sort of you know fifteen year olds up to say maybe thirty five year olds, but they can really relate to. They've got a strong and powerful message. It's a day of inspiration, as I said. We we disperse the day at um, with great entertainment. So we typically have have it um, at the International Convention Centre. We've come a long way since our first couple of events up at Knox School in their terrific auditorium, and then across at Luna Park and the last few events have been at the National Convention Centre. Um, 2019, we had, you know, over 6,000 students. Scott Morrison, uh, our Prime Minister, spoke for 20 minutes. He was wonderful and encouraging. Um, Gladys came along, our Premier. Greg Hunt, the uh, I, thought, I, thought course, no I thought you said no oldies. <laughs> well, You've come here, <laughs> mate. I gave I gave the PM an exception because he comes uh, from shy, mate. No, mate, because he's a shy person. He is a shy person and a sharks man, which is it's, no, it's, it's that's enough for me. <laughs> yeah, no, but but also, no, mate, great. we um we had to we had to you know sort of manoeuvre last year because it became obvious around about March that we wouldn't be able to have the live event. So yeah. We quickly thought about having a streamed event and, you know, again, that's opened up. You know, one door closes, another opens. Um, we've been hugely blessed with Stand Tall. So we were able to reach 70,000 students last year. It's typically for sort of 14, 15, 16-year-olds, years 8, 9, 10 at school. Um, and we did a live stream, but you get outside the Greater Sydney environment because you can reach then all the states and all the education ministers from around the country were supportive and, 
you know, we've got ambitions with a with a live event which will stream to reach two hundred thousand students this year. Um, you know, last year again, twenty twenty, the prime minister was able to deliver an opening message, um, which was pre-recorded. So, look, we've come a long way, um, Jason, and so we've good. got the ladies in particular have got this grand vision, and um, now we're reaching a lot of people and making a big difference. We've done some independent impact study assessments, and um, and they confirmed that uh, we're creating the vision we had, which is hope and leadership. And, you know, there's so many things that come against these kids, whether it's mm. bullying, whether it's, mm. whether it's you know, um, self-harm, you know, issues from bullying, from, mm. um, you know, wanting to, to, to be beautiful in appearance. And, and there's so many things that come against us, you know, all the social media that the kids are now exposed to. And um, it, it, it can be tough. Oh, and so... Yeah, no, we, we, we've got a great vision and we've got, we're very ambitious going forward. You know, there's, I mean, it's such great work you're doing. And I, I think, um, you know, to, to, uh, to add to that, you know, geez, it would be, I know it would be another level in it, but to, to actually equip parents to yeah. actually be the mentors, be the, because sometimes they feel yeah. so hopeless because they don't know, they don't know how to, yeah. to connect. No, they don't know how, because they never got taught, right. you know, they got on, they, they, they were from a generation where, where it never happened to them and then they can't pass on, I guess, what they don't know and, and yeah. it's hard, it's hard. No, it's, it is, it's very hard. I mean, we've, Ronnie Taylor is um, the mental health minister for New South Wales. Uh, we've had a few meetings with her and she wants us to do a big event up at Tamworth um, this year, which we're going to do and, the night before, we're going to have a couple of our speakers talk to the parents as well. So we'll be able to connect with the parents. And you're dead right, though. It's not easy. And the kids don't open up to, to the parents about these sort of issues. The parents often never know that the child's being bullied, never know that the child's suffering from, from health issues. I mean, we do partner with some organisations like Are You OK? You know, who have got fantastic. great yeah. guidance and great steps um, in in spotting issues and, and reaching out to to young people who might be suffering. So we do get a lot of guidance from them. But but our day is, you know, you've got to stick to what you're good at. It's, it's right. creating a, yeah. a one-off, you know, a, an inspiring day that where you deliver really strong, great messages. We do have modules for schools post the event, um, you know, which is getting a lot of traction and, and it's helping teachers, um, you know, identify issues. And, and it's a follow-on from the event that, that allows us to continue to interact with, you know, the students' sort of lives and, and what they're doing. So... Yeah, we're growing. If any of your listeners want to have a quick look, just go to Stand Tall Event. Yes. If you Google search that and you can click on, there's about a four-minute, there's a four-minute tape um, from our 2019 event, which will give you an indication of the speakers we have. Obviously, the PM's on that as well, but all the different messages that we're trying to get across. I'm happy to say, Jason, starts with the train coming from Cronulla um, that arrives into Central Railway. And, uh, you know, we, we're lucky enough to have great support from the government in providing those designated trains and, and a whole bunch of other services. Oh, isn't that wonderful? Well, I've got to say, I, I, many years ago, Janine and I mm-hmm. sat at, at Cronulla and she told me about the vision and she had read yeah. a, book, a book of mine called Stand Tall and she said, I'd love to use oh, wow. this, this name. And wow. Because it's every, everything what you talk about is really what we we want, to, and I'm just just like please, please use it. But if it gets really big, if it gets really big, I'd like some royalties. But that's that's another issue. <laughs> <laughs> mate, I've, I've got to tell you, Jason, we're a not for profit, mate. I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. Nick, it's been, mate. I've got to thank you so much. Looking back on your career, as I was just doing the the, the research, I was just got far out. I said this guy has achieved everything. He's got so much to be proud of. You know, you've. 
apart from from World Cups, being the first to to bring it home for us. Yeah. You know, you've been awarded an an OAM. You got a place in both the Australian and International Rugby Hall of Fame, and uh, but more so, you're a great father, great husband, and and um, you know, you've inspired a lot of people. And thank you for always uh, for me personally. Um, you know, you've you've opened up a lot of your networks for me to to make build bridges. And yes, I've burned a few of them, but I appreciate. <laughs> No, I, pre- I appreciate Jason. you doing that. Yeah, no, <laughs> I really thanks. do. I um, really do. You're yeah, like, no, no. You know, because it's rare, Nick. I've got to say, it's rare for someone to go, here's my contact, here you go. Uh, I'll introduce you. Like, a lot of people, don't, they, don't, they haven't got that generous spirit. And I really, I'm, like, I really, really appreciate it. So thank you. Jason, I've been I've been encouraged and supported. You, you and I have enjoyed a great friendship over a number of decades. We, we enjoy a, a common faith, and that always holds you in a great friendship. But um, I was lucky enough to play in some great teams, be coached by some great coaches. I feel hugely privileged for the life that Ange and I have enjoyed and you know, the opportunities and the doors that that, that has opened. And, um, you know, as I sort of mentioned in our, in our chat today, I, I'm really encouraged by the past but I look forward to what the future has to hold and anytime mate you you need any support or, or um, help you. You, you know I'd love to hear from you and let's catch up mate soon and have that lychee cocktail <laughs> <laughs> oh Nick Van Jones thank you so much for coming on the Spirit of Sport and thank you all for listening of course if you if you missed tonight you can you can listen next Sunday night, Sunday morning, sorry, 5.30 to 7am. If you're up uh, with a little toddler like I am up in those early hours, uh, we do a replay. But also it's on 2CH Digital or you can go to the 1170 uh, app as well, SEN, and just look up catch-ups. They've all our great interviews there with Steve Ward, Justin Langer, Margaret Court. Wasn't she fantastic? And I can't wait for you to listen to this one if you didn't get around to it tonight. Thank you so much, Nick, and thank you all for listening. I'm Jay. Jason Stevens and stuff for your face and body. It's men's skincare with a purpose. Top quality Aussie made grooming and skincare to help guys look and feel great with no hassles. Plus, stuff is helping mental health too. Find stuff at Woolworths or visit websiteofstuff.com. You're listening to the Spirit of Sport.